0: Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalist for beautiful worship. Indeed, it is a strange story, a strange way to save the world. Last week, we began a two part sermon entitled, How Can One Baby Save the World? How is it that this Bethlehem baby, Really does change everything. Well, first of all, last week we saw that he saves us from our sin. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people everywhere. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. He saves us from our sins. Or in Matthew's account, when Joseph is told, don't divorce Mary. It's okay to go ahead and take her as your wife because that which is within her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son and you will call him Jesus. Which means Yahweh saves. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Name him Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins. That's right. At Calvary, he took all of our greed, our selfishness, our anger, our lust, our gossip, our gluttony. He takes it all upon himself and dies in our place. Well, we saw a second way last week. He saves us from ourselves. He saves us from our sins, and he saves us from ourselves. We, you and I are born focused on one person. We are born focusing upon ourselves. We try to live life grabbing with greed to get all that we can for number one. And yet he came the last, the least, the servant. He came and gave his life for others that we could see that we can live our life beyond ourselves. Even as the disciples are fighting over who's going to be greatest when he sets up his kingdom, who will be seated at the right and the left hand when he comes into his glory. They don't see it in the background. He's girding up his robe, pouring water in the basin, and getting ready to wash their feet. Jesus saves us from our self-centered nature. A monk had found a, a precious stone. He put it in his bag of provisions and a few days passed, he ran to a traveler, and the traveler was hungry, and he asked the monk, "If a monk won't help you, who will? will you share your provisions?" He was hungry and thirsty. and as the monk opened his bag to share his provisions, well, the traveler saw that invaluable jewel, that precious stone. And with nothing to lose, the weary traveler said, Well, not only will you share your provisions, your food and your drink, but will you likewise, will you give me that precious stone? The monk reached into his bag and handed the stone over to the traveler, and the traveler ran him. Forget the provisions. He had an invaluable stone. He ran his own way before the monk could change his mind. A few days later, he returned to the monk He handed back the stone. He said, now what I want you to give me is whatever you have that enabled you to give me that stone in the first place. He saves us from ourselves. It makes us an awfully generous, serving people. Today, I want us to look at a a few more ways that that baby saves the world. On that most holy of all nights, when the young Jewish girl, still pondering in her heart the words of the angel, gave birth to a little boy, everything changed forever. He saves us from our sins and he saves us from ourselves, but likewise, he saves us from our enemies. There are people that we cannot bear to love. Rage rises anew within us when we think about those who spew racial hatred or those who sexually exploit children or those who commit acts of terrorist violence. Our desire to hate them wells up within us and also for people who have committed infuriating acts against our family, against people that we love, the betrayers in our life, the liars in our life, the bullies and the critics in our life. Oh, it's easy to hate them. It's so easy to justify that desire to hate. If we hate evil, it is but a small step for us to hate the bears of evil. But listen to the words of Jesus. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, it's all changed. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And know that you may be the sons of your father who's in heaven, for he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax gatherers do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than the others? Do not even the Gentiles love their friends And family. This radical rabbi came with a whole new message that he saves us from hating our enemies and he calls upon us to love them and to pray for those who would do you harm. Have you ever thought about this? Only Christians can love their enemies. There is no other religious people in the world who have the power to love their enemies. And the reason that we have that power to love our enemies, that he saves us from the hatred of our enemies, is that when he himself was dying on the cross, he said to those who were crucifying him, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. If you and I decide to follow a Lord who will forgive his murderers even in the act of murder, now you know why he expects us to love our enemies. He asks you not to love those who will love you in return. The Gentiles do that. The sinners do that. Rather, he says, I want you to do the hard thing. I want you to love those who despise you, those who hurt you, those who have wronged you, those who have ignored you. I want you to love those who will never, ever love you back. As forgiving people, we ought to be the most healthy people on the planet because as followers of Jesus, we are called, we cannot remain bitter. We don't have to harbor that hatred in our hearts. We don't have to let those who've wronged us in the past haunt us with those old deeds because he was beaten, but he did not strike back. He was spat upon, but he did not spit back. While everyone else was drawing their sword, he demanded that his disciples put theirs away. When they slapped him, he turned to give them the other cheek. He would not be controlled by those who hated and hurt him. Isn't that the the Christmas message. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for which people? All people everywhere. Our family, our friends, and yes, our foes. It's a good news for everyone. Letting an enemy off the hook by loving him, by blessing him, and by Praying for him, that's what Jesus asks us to do, it flies in the face of our aching human nature. But God, knowing that our own humanity might get in the way of our calling, reminds us again and again to love him and to love others and to even love the others who are our enemies. What if you've been taught that a whole people group is your enemy? And what if that enemy killed your son? Could you choose to love? Would you even want to? Robbie, a strong Israeli woman, she had a heart for peacemaking in the midst of her country's war. She's faced with a decision to have peace in her heart every day. She lives in Israel, in the middle of one of the longest, most polarized, politically divisive, theologically explosive conflicts in all of human history. It still goes on, doesn't it? The Jewish and the Palestinian people. Packed together so tightly on that little strip of land, they both consider holy and both feel like they need to protect what is theirs. Israelis want a safe homeland and they want to live in the land that God promised to them. The Palestinians call that same land home. Their ancestors has farmed it for centuries and well they they want their civil rights and a sense of security too. Robbie's decision to dedicate her life to peace was picked up by her own son David. And then David got a draft notice to enter the Israeli Defense Force, and he and his mother Robbie had to determine what he was going to do, and he decided he could pursue peace even while serving in the Israeli military. What better place? What better role? Maybe he could teach his fellow soldiers to look at the other side as human beings who have their own hopes and desires and family and love. He made it through 3 years of service, unfortunately was drafted and called up for a second term. And a bullet from a Palestinian sniper hit David Robbie's son and murdered him. The conflict now wasn't just a philosophy or a theology now for Robbie. She had to decide, would she still be a peacemaker that now the Palestinians had taken the thing that was most precious to her, her only son David? Would she change and become a person of revenge? The psalm was a Palestinian man who spent his life hating the Jews antagonizing the Israeli military that was occupying his homeland. He ended up going to jail. He was bathed in anger, wrapped up in revenge. But while in prison, Bassam found an unexpected gift. He began to make friends with an Israeli prison guard. And they gradually began to share their stories and about their families with each other. And he, he had a, a a real kindred spirit with this Israeli prison guard. They began to, to share each other's stories, and he began to see the war narrative from the other side, and they began to see each other's position, and... Well, the Sam left prison no longer governed by revenge and hate, but he decided in his heart that, that peace would never come to his country by war, but rather, we would need changed human hearts. In fact, he thought friendship, like his friendship with the Israeli prison guard would be the key to freedom. Bassam, a, a man once filled with rage and hungry to get even, was now a father doing the hard work of peace. But just a few years after his decision to be a man of peace based on his friendship with Israeli prison guard, Bassam's 10 year old daughter, Abir, was shot by an Israeli soldier. While she was standing in line to go to school. But Sam was shocked by this grief. And he, again, he had to choose. Would he, would he stay committed to peace? Or now that a beer had been shot by an Israeli, would it, would it change his mind? He decided not to go back to anger and hatred. But he joined a support group called the Parent Circle. And the parent circle was a group. It didn't matter if you were Palestinian or an Israeli that you went. It was for those who had lost a family member in the awful conflict. And there he met Robbie, the Israeli mother who had lost her son David. And there he was, a Palestinian father who had lost his daughter a beer. They didn't come to the parents' circle as Palestinians or Israelis. They came as parents who had lost a child to war. They shared their pain, their empathy, their understanding. The common ground of grief paved a way for reconciliation and peace. Who do you need to see as a friend? And have they done something more cruel than murdering your child? I don't think so. He saves us from the hatred of our enemy. Fourthly, he saves us through our suffering. He saves us through our suffering. One night, a king was aroused by a fearful stomping on the top of his roof. It woke him up in the middle of the morning, the wee hours, and he shouted out the roof above the stomping, Who's up there? A friend, came the voice. Well, what are you doing up there in the middle of the night? I've lost my camel, came the voice. You fool, why are you looking for your camel on my roof? The voice replied, You fool, why are you looking for God in silk clothing and lying in a bed of gold? Where are you looking for God? The words filled the king with terror. He realized that God was not always in the gold. So many, even today, look for God in a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. If you have enough faith, you'll always be well. You'll always be wealthy. You'll always prosper. And yet, when we look at the text this morning, we see that it's altogether different, isn't it? That's not the the Word of God. He molds us and makes us through our trials and tribulations. And if we follow a Messiah who suffered, we will also suffer with Him. He saves us. You want me to say from, but I can't. That's not what the text says. He saves us through our suffering we worship the God of sorrows think about what the prophets of old had said about the Bethlehem baby he was to be despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows acquainted with grief he will be without form or comeliness a root out of dry ground It's only fitting that a man whose life ends dying naked on a cross between two criminals, that he would be born in a common cave and have a feeding trough for a bed. A man buried in a borrowed tomb is born in the humblest of circumstances. The manger and the cross, they serve as bookends to the story of the Messiah. And in between, he wears a peasant's garb and he associates with fishermen and harlots and tax gatherers. And sometimes it was just the cold of the mountain that was his bed. Did he not say that foxes have holes? The birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He saves us through suffering. There is an odd way in which the manger itself declares that he has come to be the king of the poor. I imagine the shepherds come, the outcast, the poorest, in the socioeconomic strata of the day. They look at him and say he's not like Herod in purple robes somehow this little king will rule differently. When he began his ministry, he quoted the prophet Isaiah and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release of captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord Who's he coming for? The poor, the prisoner, the downtrodden? Today, that scripture is fulfilled, he says, the synagogue in Nazareth. He saves us through our suffering because he himself knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be tempted 40 days without food. The writer of Hebrews ponders a Savior who lowers himself to humanity, and he writes, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make the payment for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted, and that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted." He comes to Bethlehem so he will know. Know your temptations, know your pain, know your flesh, know your weariness. In fact, Paul says it is only as we suffer with him that we will ever be glorified with him. A Siddic rabbi, Levi of Ukraine, used to say that he discovered the meaning of love from a drunken peasant. I don't know what drunken peasants have to teach us, but they're going to teach us something this morning. The rabbi says that he learned the meaning of love from the words of a drunken peasant. He was visiting the Polish countryside, and the rabbi went to to visit with the owner of the tavern. He walked in, he saw two peasants at the table, and he said, and I quote, they were gloriously in their cup. We know, (laughs) that's a nice way of saying it, isn't it? They were gloriously in their cup. They had their arms around each other. Their names were Ivan and Peter. And these two peasants who were gloriously in their cup were telling each other how much they loved each other. They were happy. They were happy. And, well, Ivan said to Peter, Peter, tell me what hurts me. Glazed and bleary-eyed, Peter looked at the other peasant, Ivan, and said, How do I know what hurts you? And Ivan responded, if you don't know what hurts me, how can you say you love me? If you don't know what hurts me, how can you say you love me? Thorns, nails, rejection, fist spit, sleeping disciples when they should be praying. He came to Bethlehem so he can love you by knowing what hurts you. Here's a a final way. He saves us, number five, from the fear of death. I honestly do not know how anyone walks away from a a graveside without the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know how you you put your mother, your father in the ground, your husband, your wife, heaven forbid, your child, walk away with no resurrection hope. Because of the Bethlehem baby, died and resurrected he saves us from the fear of death the writer of hebrews says since Then the children, meaning us, share in flesh and blood. He himself, meaning Jesus, likewise, put on the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. The greatest fear amongst all humanity is the fear of death. It's the box in the six-foot-deep hole. But the writer of Hebrews says, we had flesh, so he put on flesh. And he died and he arose that we wouldn't have to be afraid of death, wouldn't have to be afraid of the devil who brings death anymore. We do not have to be subject to the slavery of fear. Not only are we the only people who can love our enemies, we are the only people who don't have to be afraid of death. We look at our Lord and He has an empty tomb. Don't you remember who He is? He's the one who interrupts a funeral procession. The widow of Nain had lost her son. Her husband was already dead. All of her future was bleak. And and we worship the one who stops the funeral procession and says to the boy before his burial, I say to you, get up. And Luke tells us he gives the boy back to his mother. Don't you remember who we worship? We worship the God who shows up four days late after the, the funeral for Lazarus, and he goes and he says, take the stone away, and he cries out, come forth. That's the God that we worship. Don't you remember? He's the one who goes in that room where the little girl is dead and tells everybody else to get out but the parents and chosen disciples and says, I say to you, arise. And then he says, shh. Don't tell people I can do that yet. We worship the God of an empty tomb. We don't have to be afraid of death. It's a strange way. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from our selfishness, ourselves. He saves us from the imprisoning hatred of our enemies. He saves us through suffering with us and for us. And last, but certainly not least, He saves us from the fear of death. Let us pray. God, this has to surely be the strangest story ever told. A virgin who conceives, fiance ready for divorce, angels inhabiting dreams, shepherds on the hillside left out by everybody else, and yet the first to hear the song of angels. Caves and feeding troughs, kings bringing gifts from afar, Oh, it's a strange story, God, one we couldn't even make up we wanted to, and yet we acknowledge this morning that it is in that story where you, God, become one of us, for a creator becomes one with creation that he might save. Creation. We are grateful, O God. Amen.